What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Of Like Minds video podcast featuring a super special guest today, Mr. Christopher Martin. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time today. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, Chris, so just kind of starting off and um, talking a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and uh, what that was like. Okay. I was born in Oakland, California, and I moved to Boulder, Colorado when I was super young, maybe three years old. And um, grew up in Boulder until I was about 18. And Boulder is like a little liberal bubble within Colorado. Um, and yeah, that's where I spent most of my years. I grew up in a family that um, I think really valued good food and good music. I feel like that's kind of the thing that brings us all together. And I like carry that into my life now. I, I really want to make sure that's a part of my life to this day. Um, I have a mother named Beverly Doc and I, a father named Daniel Martin, and a sister that goes by Maria Madrid. Um, yeah, so just a little fa family from Boulder, Colorado, and um, played soccer at a young age. I was really into all team sports, um, and I was pretty athletic as a kid. However, I was really bad at baseball, and I, <laughs> and I like never knew why, but I have this memory of you know, like when the coach would be like the the coach would be the pitcher in like little league games mm -hmm. and he would like underhand pitch it to you. And I kept missing it. And they brought out the T and you only ever get the T when you've like <laughs> missed like 20 pitches in a row because they're like every kid's going to hit it. Mm -hmm. And so we get the T. They put the baseball on the T and I'm like ready. I'm like, I see the baseball and then I hit the T and the ball just drops straight down. <laughs> and I remember feeling so bad. Because I was pretty good at everything else. And I hit the tee a couple more times until I just walked to the first base. And <laughs> I just kind of, that's an aside. But I grew up in Boulder <laughs> with a family. And um, yeah, that was kind of like the food, music was super important. And um, that's kind of still holds true to this day. That's kind of at the forefront of, um, of my life and the things that I hold dear to me. Mm. Well, talking about like the other sports that you were involved in, mm -hmm. considering that you were pretty good at all of the other ones, was there a particular one, a sport when you were like a kid that kind of stood out to you most or that you enjoyed more so than the others, if there was? Yeah, so I played uh, soccer until I was about um, 16. And I played at a, uh, like a pretty high level in the state. And my dad, he got a scholarship um, to play soccer at Berkeley. And my uncle was also on the, um, I think the like USA team for, um, for like, not the like 18 and under, he was on the USA team. Wow. So soccer played a big part in the family. And I remember the transition out of soccer and into dance was the tough mm -hmm. one. There was like a moment where I was like, hey, I'm going to stop playing soccer and I'm going to focus my energy on dance. And my parents were like, actually, you're not. <laughs> you're gonna play another year i remember hated i hated that year um yeah okay, so, so what, was, I, like, what was that like <laughs> um i mean i was a teenager so i was like a butthead for sure and i didn't want to do it and um i remember like having to play an extra season um just because i think they probably thought it brought value into my life which it definitely did but you know when you're a teenager you're like you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it was definitely, definitely frustrating, but I don't know. I think it's like also like valuable to know that things aren't always in your control and ex experience that. And um, in hindsight, like it's all good. <laughs> Still love my parents. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Did that change kind of going into it just with soccer being your favorite sport initially and then that year where your parents are like you're still going to do this you're going to hold off dance like what did that change mentally your approach like your joy for the game what was that like uh definitely like I think my my approach to the game in general had changed over time my dogs are coming down so the audio is going to be kind of <laughs> they're probably going to sit on the couch behind me absolutely Martin Martin yeah guys go sit on the couch come on <laughs> I thought that let's go okay they're not going is this okay? That's totally fine. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think the, 
the thing that wanted me to step away from soccer is just because it was so competitive, especially when you start getting playing at a higher level, winning gets more important. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of the forefront of everyone's intention for being there. And um, I'm just not a super competitive person in general. I think that's kind of why I stepped away from um, battling and um, like b-boy culture is because like, ah, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of being a butthead to people like working really hard at a craft to then be a butthead. And I don't think that was the only option that was there, but it's definitely like the path that I was on. Um, so that's kind of, I don't know. I think when things feel like the, the purpose is to win, I just stray away from it. Um, maybe it's cause I like hate losing and I like, I'd say like maybe it's a self-defense mechanism, mm. but um, yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know. That was kind of at the forefront, which kind of turned me off. Okay. So when you were still playing soccer and sports and you one, how did you find dance? Uh, and then two, what was the first particular style of dance that you got uh, involved with? Cool. I think we, I remember always dancing in the kitchen with my family. So we'd always have dinners every night, maybe around six. And then there would always be music playing. Um, and it wouldn't be like, slow classical music they would play um oh, just a lot of really great music that would want make you want to move so after dinner usually as we're cleaning up there'd be like dancing happening in the kitchen and then my mom and dad put me into a break dancing class when i was eight years old at a studio called dance west i think mm -hmm. and um so at, since that like i just kept doing it and it wasn't something that I was like, I love this so much. It was just kind of like another activity that I was doing. Mm -hmm. it, um, I do remember feeling like very unique because of it. Um, and just being able to like do things in like uh, elementary school and middle school, just like elbow freezes on the field. <laughs> Maybe there was like a, um, there's definitely like my subconscious probably like, hey, this makes you special. This makes you cool. So I leaned into it further mm. um, just because I remember like there wasn't very many um, other boys who danced at that age in that town. So. Absolutely. Did you, did you ever feel like there was maybe a direct correlation from the skills you were gaining in either soccer or, you know, breaking where you felt like they were also enhancing the other, mm -hmm. obviously doing it so young, you were having uh, done both simultaneously. Yeah, for sure. But like, I definitely didn't think about it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They like definitely helped each other out. And um, yeah, I just think being good at moving your body in general helps in, in all sorts of places um, and manifests itself in different ways. Um, like I know like one person I think of is like Tony Ray. I think he did mm -hmm. some sort of martial arts um, and then like seeing it adapt into his movement. And like, I know Lao Baniga is also kind of that same mm -hmm. thing. He like did martial arts and then it kind of transferred over to dance nicely. I feel like that also happened. Um, to me, except for baseball. I don't know that baseball helped me. That <laughs> no hand-eye so coordination. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I definitely think it transferred over. However, I don't think I ever gave it much thought. And I, I don't know that I still do to this day. Mm -hmm. yeah. No worries. Yeah. And so obviously you, you're taking these classes at Dance West and you're really young when you found breaking. Um, maybe what was that point where you started to realize, oh, like I'm getting pretty good at this and then starting to get into the battling realm and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. I think I just, we would battle in class. So I don't think there was a moment where I was like break dancing and then came into like b-boy culture where I was heavily battling. I think it just kind of happened slowly. And that's like, I think the, the trajectory for most of my journey in dance. I'm definitely like a go with the flow person like this is peak interest stuff and i kind of play with this area until it leads me to somewhere and um yeah so it, it was definitely like a slow and low um journey uh i remember entering battles outside of like the studio probably when i was like 11 or 12 just like going to little events um and i had battled already at the studio like at the end of class we'd always just battle each other Mm -hmm. um, it'd be like the last 10 minutes. Um, and yeah, so it always, like, it always felt pretty home to me, even when it switched to like a, a bigger space with more people. Absolutely. And so 
that last year where your parents were like, Chris, you're going to do soccer for one more year. And now that you're mm-hmm. kind of delving into this new thing, which is breaking and what was that support support like from your family once you started to fully commit yourself to dance? Mm. I, I feel like I was super lucky because my family has been super supportive. Um, yeah, like I don't think there was much um, pushback, especially because around that same age, I was starting to get work as a dancer. So I would, I would dance for like the Denver Nuggets and I'd be on there. I forgot. I think it was called like the Mob Squad or something. And we would dance at like timeouts and half times. Oh, cool. So I was like my first like paying job and paying work. And at this time, my sister's five years older than me. And she had started to um, get some work as a dancer at that time as well. Mm-hmm. So I think she definitely like, and she went to college and then started working as a dancer. So it kind of mm-hmm. eased the blow of like, hey, I'm dancing. I'm doing it for a living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they were super supportive. And man, they took me to so many classes. And um, yeah, I don't think there was ever a time they were like, you can't dance unless my grades were bad. Then they'd be like, can't dance right now because uh-huh. your grades are shit. Um, but there was a moment where they're like, you can dance, but you also have to do this just for another year. Love that. And you kind of talking a little bit about Mari um, kind of doing jobs and kind of influencing you and kind of paving that path. So mm-hmm. if you can just talk a little bit about that bigger sister influence on you, uh, one, growing up, and then two, just, just seeing her do dance and what that influence was like on you. Right. Um, let's see. Lots to unpack there. I feel like Mari is one of my favorite people to watch dance just because we have the connection. So like, um, I don't know. I always just feel proud to like watch my sister dance and uh, see what she creates. Um, yeah, I just like, I always feel super proud when I watch her dance. Um, yeah. And I feel like we kind of hit the sweet spot because she was like five years apart. So we were never in the same school. So we're never like too much of a part of each other's lives where it was because I know some siblings are like close and it's like, ah, I can't get rid of you. But I don't I at least I never felt that with my sister. Um, so I always felt pretty close and always had like a great time hanging out with Mari. Um, I think what helps me is just like perspective. And I think often the paths we choose are just based on our perspective of what we know is possible. Um, so when you see your family member, it's like kind of like, OK, my my dad is a nurse, so I can do, I can be a nurse. You see that all the time in families. Um, and I think her kind of ex- exploring the um, career of dancing just showed me that perspective and that it is possible. And you mm-hmm. can. Absolutely. Now, did your move born in Oakland, California, correct me if I'm wrong, and then growing up in Boulder, Colorado, one, if you can talk a little bit about the move to back to California and specifically San Diego. And I don't know if you and Mari moved at the same time or what that transition was like uh, mm-hmm. moving to SoCal. Yeah. So after high school, I moved to Norway. I was like, ah, I'm going to Norway. And I lived in Norway for half a year and I taught at a studio there. And I taught at the studio called Vibe or The Vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really great. It was kind of just like an internship at a studio. And I got to train under a bunch of people that were starting to get blown out in all these places. Um, and then I came back, I did ABDC with my team in Colorado, uh, um, team? break effects. So this was like mm-hmm. my B-boy crew in Colorado. Mm-hmm. We did ABDC. And then after that, I, um, after the show, I was like, kind of like, okay, what's next? Where can I go next? And my sister lived in California in San Diego at that time. And my grandparents live in San Diego. So we'd always go visit San Diego when we were a kid mm-hmm. or when we were kids. Um, and I had a friend named Mark Mariano. He also goes by the name of Porky. Mm-hmm. And, or I don't know if he still does, but uh, <laughs> he offered me a place to stay in San Diego. Um, yeah, so I moved there when I was about 20, maybe 19. Um, just to, I don't know, just to see what was going on. I think I kind of reached a place where I felt um, I had learned a good amount of what I can from the community in Colorado. Mm. Um, and I knew I didn't want to move to LA because being an industry dancer wasn't something that was super intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so San Diego was like a nice in-between of like a, a new community that does really cool movement that I am um, drawn to. 
without it being um, what felt like the industry, mm-hmm. the dance industry. Yeah. Now at this time when you're moving to San Diego, like 1920, you said, um, maybe if you can talk a little bit too about transitioning from, you know, specifically focusing on, on breaking and then getting more into the choreography realm. I think there's a lot of choreography dancer, you are a freestyler, you are, a, you know, there's so many, like you're different whereas opposed to just being a dancer. So one, if you could talk about what that transition was like in terms of maybe some challenges, some things that worked in your favor, what was that transition like? So when I was like maybe 12, 13, I started dancing in a studio called Motion Underground. And to be on a team at the studio, you had to take a bunch of classes. So you're like, okay, you're gonna be on the hip hop one team, like the most basic hip hop team. You'll also have to take like a breaking class, you have to take jazz technique, um, you'll take like a popping class, a house class. Um, so you were forced to train in all these styles if you wanted to be a part of the studio. So that was my transition into choreography and other dance styles. Um, so it, I remember though, like feeling um, like I'd have to switch uh, or like flip a switch in my mind when approaching choreography opposed to like breaking and freestyling um, just because they felt just like different approaches and I remember the, the like the the feeling of learning choreography being vastly different from freestyling and how those are two different muscles um, and I think they're, they're closer together now but I remember f- feeling like all right flip the switch b-boy mode and mm. then flip the switch choreography mode as I was like getting started and I think a lot of people feel that as well who have to switch over to a different style absolutely and what was that transition in terms of what classes were you kind of immersing yourself in when you came to San Diego and just kind of feeling out the community? You're obviously influenced and you enjoyed the movement, but if you can take us through what your training regimen was like in classes or even your own self-work that you were doing at home. Mm -hmm. I think when I moved to San Diego, what was important to me, I was definitely taking classes at Studio 429 in Encinitas when it was still open. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are mostly like choreography classes. And then I think at that time I was just constantly creating work um creating pieces um i feel like that was my early 20s so what i was doing right then is just like i'm gonna choreograph all the time (laughs) and i think i like stepped away from freestyling at that point um i'd like stepped away from breaking and i moved more into choreography one because like that was just the community that was surrounding me and um there was also work um in that in that uh area so like if I was doing choreography I would be getting hired to go teach places Mm. um so that was kind of like I don't think I had a strict regimen um again I'm like pretty like go with the flow but um definitely like creating pieces pretty consistently as well as just taking classes consistently yeah I kind of want to go back a little bit Chris to let's go a little bit of that initial dance gig and you talked about you moving to Norway and living there for about half a year Oh, was mm-hmm. that one was that the first kind of um i guess major gig that you got like oh like this is like this is a really great opportunity and uh two mm-hmm. what was that what did that do for your confidence and what did that do for you moving forward and like finally getting that foot in the door to be able to right. like, get an opportunity cool i don't know if it was like i don't know if i'd call it a gig i definitely like flew myself out there to go live mm-hmm. live there um and i was teaching at the studio and teaching at the studio would kind of pay for my rent mm-hmm. um I think the the most important thing about um, my my trip to Norway was that people would come and teach for a month at the studio. So like a teacher, I remember like Alan Pizarro, he would come and teach up for a month and I would get to like live with these people and also watch them work, watch them teach. Um, and it just helped to see the people that were working as choreographers for a living and teachers for a living to see mm-hmm. what they do how they approach things to participate in the things that they were um, teaching as well as living with them and just talking with them in general. Um, that felt like a very important moment because it just gave me, just again, like gave me perspective to like how I can approach um, doing dance as a career and like keeping the flame going that is dance inspiration. Absolutely. Were, were there specific things or maybe one thing that stood out to you in terms of the other, you know, the, 
tendencies you picked up from these other choreographers that were doing the same things you were doing that you're like, oh, wow, like that's like to be great or to, to really thrive in this. Like I can pick that up from these people. Like what was like maybe mm -hmm. a, a thing that stood out to you? I think there was like things that I were, was drawn to and there was also things that I was like, oh, I don't like that. So, and I think they're both important. Um, I remember like there was one teacher there and they kind of took like more of the whiplash approach, like the movie whiplash where they're really hard on their students. And I like, I'm, I don't work well in that environment. Um, so I think that was like a moment where I was like, oh, this is something I don't like. Um, and there's also moments where I think people were just so prepared. They like knew what they were sharing. Um, they knew like what they wanted to bring out of the students. Uh, and I think for a large part of my early 20s, I was just like making cool moves and then sharing it. And that was the, the extent of my intention. So I think as I've gotten older, like one thing that I, that I noticed these teachers did and that I'm trying to do now is um, figure out what my value is as a teacher and like what I'm really giving students aside from just movement, um, but more like teaching people about my approach and how it could be valuable to them. Absolutely. And even what about like the, the class etiquette and the culture of the, the students and kind of seeing how mm -hmm. they take class in comparison to what it's like here in the States? How was it like mm -hmm. over there in Norway? Um, it was pretty similar, honestly. Yeah, I feel like, I also think like it was a space where like a guest would come into a studio space and teach. So I think class etiquette always changes a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of like how the students are acting. I mean, you, you know how it is when someone yeah. comes in and everyone's like, oh, everyone's well behaved now. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like that over and over again. But um, I don't notice any, any like big differences from class etiquette, but I do think I've been lucky enough and like privileged enough to be in communities where class etiquette has been integrated from a long time ago. So it's like there already. It's, it's kind of like seamless and it's not something that has to be reminded to, mm -hmm. reminded about so often because it's kind of integrated into the, the culture of the communities I've been a part of. And you didn't feel like that tapered off towards the end of that six month tenure just because, you know, getting more comfortable and seeing your face over and over again, it's like, okay, maybe kind of getting lax a little bit or you really felt like the entire time there was just, um, they were really just like all buttons up and they were as good as mm -hmm. they could be. I think there's probably moments where someone was being a butthead, but it never felt like out of control. Yeah. I'm also sometimes kind of oblivious to those things. <laughs> sometimes I get tunnel vision when I teach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So coming back to being here in the States, Chris, and just um, one, I want to talk a little bit about your movement. And I think we kind of see with, you know, I think everyone's personality kind of comes out in their movement. And I think mm -hmm. that that doesn't change for you. I think I can still see that silliness and that playfulness and very unique. And just talking a little bit about how you, how you found your movement and what feels good in your body. Like, what was that process mm -hmm. like for you? I think that's like, a, I feel like that will be a process for as long as we're alive and moving around. Like, I think the way we move will always be kind of changing depending on our experiences and who we're learning from and, um, what we're giving time. Um, so I feel like I'm definitely still finding my movement. Like, I feel like I move completely different now than I do from two years ago. Mm -hmm. and I think you can see that in work as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think it's always, always changing. Um, so I don't know if that like answers the question. No, it's perfect. I mean, that's is it answer. perfect? <laughs> that's your answer. The, the, Does that work? Are, that's your shapey wapey. That that's that's your movement aesthetic right there. I think I can go a little bit deeper. Okay. I think like what helps me find my movement and like my voice um, is just pursuing the things that interest me in terms of movement. Um, I think one thing that has held very true is that. I'm pretty like stubborn in terms of like um, social norms. Like I remember like my teacher telling me to dance bigger and like being like, no, I'm gonna make smaller work. <laughs> and like 
remember like my parents telling me like if you saw her, I was like no I'm gonna dance like I'm just gonna do it so I'm kind of like a stubborn butthead in that <laughs> sense um and I think just in life in general but also I think that leaks into my into my like voice and dancing because I'll try to go against the grain in some facets and try to take things that maybe we see often and um ask like okay can can we do something else um and I think that kind of leaks into my choices within my movement absolutely okay so now going back to you know we're here in san diego and kind of taking us through that you're, you're taking classes a lot of different classes uh 429 at the time kind of doing labbing and doing work on your own independently maybe collaborating with other people mm -hmm. um maybe if you can talk a little bit about your journey um starting to get a little bit more noticed in the community here in socal and then maybe starting to get opportunities you know here in socal can just take us through that yeah i remember my first class i taught here was before i lived here and mm. it was to oh, was it a whitney houston song ah project, i don't know it what was studio where I it was million dollar bill it was at 429 it was okay. my first class i like taught, taught here before i moved here um and i was welcomed um i felt i, I mean student 429 was just a really welcoming place in general mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to take this out. My headphones dead. So I'm going <laughs> to just do this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, the progression, I think it fluctuates. Um, I feel like there's moments when I teach in San Diego, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of support here and there's a lot of people participating, but there's also like moments where it's like, okay, um, there's hardly any people in this class. And I think mm. it just like goes up and down. Um, but I think like one thing that I've noticed is like, if you can be clear with your intention of what you want to give your students, um, people will come back to that um, just because it helps give them direction. Um, and that's something I'm trying to implement now is just reason, like reason within dance and reason why things could be important and kind of opening up that door to people for people to see like, okay, this could be important for me. And, um, I don't know, I think that's like an interesting way to look at growth. Um, but I think when I first started, it was just like, I'm just gonna try to make the coolest moves I can to the coolest songs I can find. Um, and now it's kind of shifted away from that. Yeah. And at this time, you're already doing dance full time and just talking a little bit more about that fluctuation in terms of the participation in class attendance. And mm -hmm. maybe, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of the younger generation that's coming up now, they, they, you know, what, what they see on Instagram and YouTube is you know, pre-COVID, full classes, mm -hmm. straight up performances. You kind of almost expect like, oh, class is always going to be popping. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. And if right. you're just talking a little bit about how you had to mentally push through that, you know, you're mm -hmm. obviously trying to make a living. But at the same time, it's, it's not always going to be fully popping. Life happens. Right. So just talking about like having to trek through and getting through those classes that, you know, maybe there weren't as many people. So it was harder mm -hmm. to feed off the energy. What was that right. like getting through that? Yeah. So I think we have like, especially in dance. Can I show you something really quick? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> okay. So anyways, is that annoying? Can you hear that? No, I can't actually. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, so I think in like in the Western world, actually, I think most of the, most of the world has this mindset. It's like a very capitalistic mindset where like, like more is better, um, and that is what brings value to us. Like I'm gonna teach a class of 500 students, and that will be that will be success for me. But I I think like I grew up in a space where there probably wasn't more than 15 people ever in a class in like Colorado, and that provided so much value to me and I owe so much of my um, ability to those classes, to those like small classes where the teacher can focus on you and give you and provide you like depth and time. And I think it's important to know like as a teacher that no matter if it's like a small class or like a huge class that you provide value and um, provide a safe space for people to express. And um, yeah, so I think if that's at the forefront of why you do what you do, then the class size won't really matter. And I think that's something that 
uh, I'm learning now because I do think there's moments where I'm like oh I'm an unsuccessful teacher there wasn't a lot of people in this class and I will switch careers now <laughs> but <laughs> but I think um, I don't know we're always our we're always our like own worst critic so yeah I just think if you can provide some value even to, if it's to a smaller group then like that's awesome and that is something to be thankful for and like to be in that position is a privilege in general um so i would say don't let it get you down because like if you keep working you'll have great moments you'll also have moments that are a little bit quieter but that doesn't mean they're not valuable i love that mm-hmm. kind of talking a little bit now about kind of finding a home in san diego mm-hmm. you've you know grown up in like we said, Oakland and, and Boulder and then moving to San Diego. And I think maybe just what you would love to share about your journey um, on cookies. That's, I know it's mm-hmm. played a huge role in your life. And I think, what is it? 10, 11 years now? How long have you been? What, what, Honestly, you, I have no idea. Count? I'm the worst at know. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's been a while. It's been a while, right? So just maybe just talking about what the cookie experience has been for you, because you've gone from company member to director um, choreographing so many times in, in, in so many different sets. So what's um, mm. just taking us through that journey? Mm. Let's see through the journey of cookies. Um, it's definitely been one that's really, really helped me with my mentality of like, just um, putting other people before yourself. Um, my thing's going to die, Kevin. It just did the No worries. You can take it out if you need to. Are you sure? Yeah. Is the audio going to be totally messed up? You just have to speak really, really clear. Okay, <laughs> I will speak super clear. Um, but I'm going to keep it in until it dies. And okay. then maybe PA, let me know if we get there. <laughs> um, so my journey on cookies has been one that's been, oh man, such a, such a great experience. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing with, about it was I had an opportunity to build my community. And um, build a community that has depth and that has like uh, just like deep connections. And um, I think you're forced to put other people before yourself over and over again at cookies. And I really think that's just like a valuable lesson to have. And I think that's not something we always see in society. Um, So it's good to take part and like practice that tool and that technique weekly. And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest like lessons and things I will take away from cookies. But um, I think in terms of the journey, definitely nervous when I first started. Um, And I'm not super good at introductions to new groups. Like if if I'm at a party, I am on the corner of like a wall just because like getting to know new people is, is tough for me. And I think it's because I had such a close knit group of friends in Colorado, like Mm. opening up and starting over, it just feels, um, I don't know. You just, so many things go through your mind. You're like, am I good enough? Am I funny? Mm -hmm. Are these people going to like me? And it's just hard. It's just hard. But um, time heals all things. And I think one thing cookies has really done is um, over the years, it helped me like find my voice and like how to add value to a group and knowing when to maybe give some insight and advice and also when to let other people do that and uh, contribute. So yeah, the journey started off really nervous and then it will probably end with me feeling comfortable with me as a person Mm -hmm. as well as what I have to offer. Absolutely. And when all of us start our dance journey, whether it's in class or on our own, um, we're still at the end of the day trying to figure out and feel good with our own movement. So maybe just talking about that transition of, you know, with cookies having, you know, being so well known for, you know, a specific aesthetic and talking about how you had to that transition of just like having to look like other people. And there's a lot of specificity with cookies. So just talking about what that transition was like for you, having so much different experience with sports and breaking right. and starting to really get into choreography. What was that transition like? Yeah. Well, there's definitely like a, an individuality you will give up in moments at cookies. Um, and like with something like B-Boying, it's your whole goal is to be unique from everyone else, mm-hmm. like to be your own entity so that you can like outshine other entities. And then when you step onto a team, it's like you will be one entity together. Um, 
So there's definitely like parts that you have to let go. And I think that's a really good, um, that's a really good thing to do for your own ego to like check yourself. And um, I think sometimes as dancers, we get these like complexes where we're like, our movement is so special. I was put here on this earth to move the way that I do. And you kind of like, you build an ego about like you and yourself and the way you move. But um, I think one thing that's really great about teamwork and just being on a team is you kind of take that away a bit and realize, okay, you're not the only person on this earth. Mm-hmm. Other people are here too. And let's try to work with them and um, not worry so much about being special. Um, and I think that kind of like goes against like, I think our generation is like, everyone is special. You all have your calling, follow your dreams. But I also think it's important to know, like, you can be special, but you can also um, compromise for people to help each other grow. And mm-hmm. that's like, a, that's, a, that's a space that we can nurture in our lives. Absolutely. And you know, for a majority of your tenure on cookies, you're a company member. And then a few years ago, you know, finally becoming officially becoming a director and talking about that transition of, you know, amongst your peers, you're dancing side by side. And then now, and for some that have been on the team for as long as you have, then having to be, you know, stepping into a leadership role and having that platform, what was that transition like uh, for you? Mm. Well, hmm. I would say, it was mixed. I think like one thing I was doing before I taught cookies or I was directed cookies was just teach in general. So I would teach a lot of dance classes and lead dance classes. So I had like practiced the tool of leading a lot, but it's, it was different because you're like leading this group of people for an extended period of time. Um, so I think like one thing that I always struggled with was um, like laying down the law when you need to. <laughs> and I think I still struggle with that most mostly because I'm like a pretty happy-go-lucky person where I'm like mm-hmm. eh, even if we mess up it's fine we're dancing like it's dance at the end of the day mm-hmm. but I think one thing that Cookies has also taught me is that like even if that's my outlook on life that's not everyone's outlook and there's other values that I need to have empathy for and listen to and um, just like my view on what it can be is not the the only one so um one thing like I learned through cookies is to be considerate to listen to other people's voices and know that my values and dance and for the team aren't the only ones and that it's important to like give everyone um, time and space to express those values listen to those values and then implement those values if we think it's for the better I know one of the things that I remember it really stood out to me what you said as uh, I think it was sometime last year or two years ago, you were really traveling a lot and you weren't able to be in rehearsal as much as you would have liked. And I remember mm-hmm. talking to you um, one-on-one and you just talking about how like you were at a point where you're obviously traveling an international choreographer and doing all these things, you know, overseas, but really just wanting to be, to give to a place and give to a specific group of people and having that mm-hmm. continual growth as opposed to like, here's a class, maybe not see them for a couple of years. So just talking about maybe the pros and cons in terms of what's gratifying for you personally, when you're mm-hmm. teaching overseas and you're teaching these drop-ins or you're only there for a certain amount of time and yeah. then working with a group like ill or working with a yeah. group like cookies or having that like continuous group that you're always going to be able to learn and grow with. Right. Yeah. I think the difference is just like depth and, um, I think that's like what I was missing. I had like done a bunch of work with a bunch of different communities, but it's just like for such a short period of time that um, you can really only like build relationships to a certain extent just because of time. Um, and I think I was missing that. And it was at a time I was getting older and um, I, had, I had been traveling for maybe a decade and I was like, oh, I think that um, I think that I've given a lot to a bunch of communities all over the place, but I feel like the real value um, now that I can offer is like giving all of my knowledge to like one community in depth. Um, And that kind of put me in a place where I'm like, okay, I really want to invest in the youth here in San Diego, uh, invest in my team more. um, Just because 
don't know honestly just, just like it felt right and I it like I felt in my gut that I was like okay I want to stay home more now I was also at a time when I had been um with Vivian for a while and I knew mm-hmm. that we were going to be uh really like getting married and um dance is important but um there's also other parts of my life that are more important than dance and like my career as a dance and I think um making sure I was here for Vivian and like building a life with Vivian was something that also drew me into that space absolutely and we're gonna get into that in a little bit but just while we're on the you know directorship and talking about cookies also just that's an adult team and a competing adult team but also talking about the junior team mm-hmm. you direct and talking about ill habits and um maybe the differences that they offer that you don't get from cookies and just being a younger age age range in general what's that been like working with mm. them oh, i love working with kids i love i just love talking to people and i love asking people <laughs> what they learned at school i'm like oh, every rehearsal i'm like what'd you learn at school today and kids will be like nothing and i was like but really did you not learn anything and they'll be like no and i also just love um love working their ill habits as a high school team or like they're like 14 to 18 about mm-hmm. sometimes we have like some 13 year olds on there um and i just think that is um when people on cookies like for the most part they like know how to talk to peeps and like hold conversations and i think one thing i really love about ill habits is i don't always have that experience <laughs> and i have these like social cues that are different and we're figuring it out still and that's totally fine and I love working like through that with people and just um, the dancing is cool. And the dancing teaches like discipline and um, being on time and looking out uh, for your teammates. And I think that's really great. But I think one thing I really love about the habits is like um, hopefully like getting kids more comfortable in like talking to adults and just like talking to people other than their friends. I think that's a really valuable like skill to have and being interested in actually doing it and also allowing um a space to talk about their life and express a little bit Mm. but um yeah i think another difference is kids are like pretty diligent without asking any questions sometimes (laughs) and i don't know that's always the case in cookies (laughs) <laughs> like they're diligent but there's also lots of questions that go like is this the best way we can do this so um, it's a little uh it's just like a different dynamic in general yeah um also too i just i feel like that's and from my personal experience kids is probably some of the most difficult classes to teach and just talking about how maybe you're not just teaching them like a a regular a through g subject and mm-hmm. with it being dance and kind of using that as a vehicle to teach them life lessons mm-hmm. beyond dance. Cause I know you're someone who isn't just teaching really cool moves. It's also mm-hmm. teaching, you know, using dance and to learn other things and just talking about maybe I don't know if, there's, if there's any like standout stories or like just seeing your kids grow up in front of you and maybe seeing mm-hmm. them mature and seeing them like through dance, learning how to be better people, not just be better dancers. Hmm. I think that there's probably a lot of really nuanced moments that are like really sneaky and in there. Um, I love like after we'll do a set, we'll like kind of talk about it with the whole group and we'll like have conversations about what do we think this is about? How do we feel about this? Um, There's always like some really cool moments there when um, someone who will be like the class clown or like the team clown of the team always messing around will be like, Um, I felt really emotionally connected to this part because um, I sometimes feel insecure in this way Mm -hmm. throughout school. So like I can connect to this and like those moments where uh, we like see a little bit of vulnerability. um, That always makes me like, um, I don't know, just happy, happy that people are having those breakthroughs and allowing themselves to be vulnerable and like seeing that afterwards, it's all good. I think because like in, in high school, oh man, like being cool and um, being accepted is, it can sometimes like pigeonhole you into a, a place where you can't find yourself being vulnerable. But I'm, I'm really impressed with like this generation of like kids because I, I see them having that problem less than I did, which mm. makes me amped. Yeah. 
Oh my God. And on the subject of that, if this is okay to talk about just, Mm -hmm. you know, especially these last few years, you've talked a little bit more about, you know, you've experienced being overseas and doing all these things all over the world and now kind of longing for just kind of establishing things and and being Mm -hmm. a little bit more grounded at home. And so, you know, getting married, was that last mm-hmm. year, right? You and Viv getting married last Viv year. Viv and I got married last year. Getting married Vivian, last year. did we get married last year? <laughs> I believe it was. It was when we went to yeah, UP, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and two, if it's cool to talk about, um, you guys expecting. And, yeah, and, we're having and, a baby. And, and what's, that, what's that been like for you? Just all these amazing things. And obviously, like you said, dance is so important, but there are mm-hmm. more important things like family, just yeah. one, finding the love of your life and, and finally, you know, being able to get married to her and Viv's a mm-hmm. wonderful person and then, you know, being able to bring life into the world. What's, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> oh, it's, it's like pretty, I don't feel too much different than, than how I felt before. But I also think like, 2020 in general has just been a whirlwind of things Mm -hmm. where everyone's life kind of got turned upside down and they had to figure out how they navigate um I do think like we did get a puppy Martin Mm -hmm. and there was a moment when I brought him home and I needed to like put him up in our room and then go down to my car to get the cage and when I went back up to the room he had shit on the floor everywhere (laughs) and I remember feeling like oh gosh this is like this is what it's gonna be like for a while (laughs) um and um right now I'm comfortable for sure I'm like confident in um what we have where we're at in our lives um how many responsibilities we have and like Mm -hmm. our ability to take care of them I'm sure that will change when we have our baby on this December so um, I don't know. I think there's like also like little moments that um, kind of pull me away from the like humdrum, monotonous life stuff, um, like feeling the baby kick, um, just having conversations with Viv about like what um, is important to us as parents and like what do we want to impart. Um, there's always like little moments sprinkled in there that uh, I don't know, make life a little more exciting and um, yeah, emotionally, like, feel higher, and, um, yeah, kind of where I'm at. Well, one, that's amazing, and you, you guys have an incredible and beautiful family with, with the dogs, and, dogs. and, and the expected baby, and obviously Viv, so um, couldn't be happier for you, Chris. And it's great to see you just smiling and goofing off and geeking out about it. I know that you're, <laughs> that's just you naturally, but it's, it's pretty uh, awesome to see that. Now, you kind of, talked a little bit about it and yeah you said this year has been a whirlwind and has Mm -hmm. been it's probably one of the few events that has affected everyone in the world in some Mm -hmm. way shape or form for sure directly directly whatever it may be if you can just talk a little bit about how it's been like for you as a working full-time artist and dealing with these unforeseen circumstances and what mm-hmm. what's that been like for you mentally what's it been like for you you know spiritually emotionally physically right. all, all these things oh i think there was tough there was tough parts for sure i think vivian and i like we bought a house at the beginning of this year mm-hmm. um so we're like all right got our money let's spend it and then it was like all your work is gone and you have a mortgage to pay <laughs> So <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to reassess, figure out how I can do this. Um, so I kind of like, I think at the start of the pandemic, um, I like run a company called Project Home with um, my co-director Larkin Poynton. And we kind of just put our heads down, started working um, and figure out how like we can um, still create spaces for connection and community and like add value through dance. Um so actually like when the quarantine hit i feel like i've been working a lot i was like working a lot beforehand like really late nights and you know as like a dancer you kind of your schedule is like all over the place some days you'll be working till two in the morning some days you like won't start work till like 5 (laughs) p.m um and some days you're working at like uh like right 
right away in the morning, but now I've been kind of doing like a Monday through Friday, nine to five. Um, so that consistency has been really nice. Um, I also think like one thing that has been really great about like the silver lining in the situation is I've been able to, um, I don't know, really build the house we're living in as well as um, spend time with Viv for a, a, like a long period of time, which is something yeah. I haven't been able to. Like, I really feel like um, we've grown, our, like our relationship has grown to a really uh, great space and like a new space that it hasn't before, um, which I'm super thankful for. And I think right now, like moving forward, the like conversation that always kind of is being had is how can we continue to add value in this like climate that we're in um, and also do it in a way that is helpful to ourselves. Cause you, you can get a lot from dance, but it can also take a lot away from you. So we're, like, I'm always trying to find that balance. Man, I mean, it's the, the, the things that you guys are doing with Project Home is, uh, mm -hmm. is incredible. And you can just talk a little bit about like, in terms of, is, are there things that we can expect to be released or has anything been announced in that sense? Or just kind of speaking a little mm -hmm. bit more about Project Home and obviously a lot more of your focus has been geared towards that because of the circumstances, cool. but um, yeah. just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think like right now what we're doing, oh, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Transition. Died. <laughs> now I will talk clearly. <laughs> Does this sound okay? It's perfect. You're good. Okay. Um, question was, what's Project Home doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so when the pandemic first started, um, our main goal was to just like provide a space for community. We offered free classes every week um, and we'd edit videos together to kind of have a sense of people being together and see that other people are participating in some way. And then we built a program named Homework. Um, which kind of takes uh, an approach to dance that is um, a little less regurgitative and like more uh, self-exploratory. I think so often in our community and like so often what I do is like just go teach choreography and that's kind of where the teaching ends. But um, so we created a program that kind of allows for a lot more self-exploration and um, works on some tools outside of regurgitating choreography. Uh, and I think with that program, one thing that was super important to us was creating community within the program. So there's a bunch of stuff in there where like you're working with other people from all over the world. We're having uh, like talks and discussions with each other, leaving space for like people to just talk about whatever they want, but just providing like a platform um, that is safe and intimate enough for people to feel comfortable. And then in that. terms of work, we are working on a visual album right now with an artist named Son of Cloud. He was the, the composer for our film Home and he um, created an album called Notes to Self. So we're working with a big group, uh, like a lot of dancers from all over the place to create a visual album for this, um, for our good friend, Jonathan Seal. That is amazing. I love yeah. it. Is there, um, are there still, now this kind of falls directly in line with you want to give back more in depth to mm -hmm. you know a group of people and so one is there still an opportunity for people that are interested to sign up or is it kind of like open or what's it been like in terms of like the people that you're working with and the feedback they're getting yeah so um we've done we're like our graduation for our third run of homework will be this sunday and we've worked with about 180 students so far um we're gonna take a little break reassess we got a bunch of feedback from a bunch of people on um, what they liked about the program, what they thought could be better. So I think again, like the forefront of like the work we're doing is like, is this valuable? How can we provide um, like a space that's like comfortable for people? So we'll take some time off, we'll revamp, um, we're gonna move everything to a new website and there will be for sure like more opportunities to do the program. And we'll also probably make a different curriculum over mm -hmm. the time. Cause we, we've just been working on freestyling the choreographic process in dance and film, but there's so many things in dance. Um, so we'll probably make a different curriculum at some point, but it will be available one day. Okay, cool. Well then you'll definitely have to send me, you know, the link and the info for that. So we can include that in the description 
so that those of you that are tuning in and listening to this, that you can go ahead and uh, support Larkin and Chris and get your groove on. Come dance. <laughs> now, talking a little bit about that too, Chris, because I know Project Home started well before COVID, and it's 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 awesome to see you just really fall in love with this with this purpose and really giving mm-hmm. to it. And just if you can provide some light, and there's a lot of working artists, and it's a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And one, if you can just share with us what you think about the outlook of the arts mm-hmm. um, and two, maybe how, how us as artists can successfully navigate through this and move forward with our sanity and still love what we're doing, but then still, you know, still making ends meet at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. That's a constant battle for sure. <laughs> um, my outlook on the arts is like the beautiful thing about dance is you can kind of do it however you want. Um, people will say like, that's not dance, this is bad. But I think at the end of the day, the cool thing about dance is you can, you can do what you want. <laughs> um, and there's like so many options and so many ways to navigate it. Um, yeah, finding the balance between um, creating something that you, you back and you believe in while still being sustainable to you um, and your like the lifestyle you want to live monetarily is always a constant one. I think there's this idea of like the starving artist. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a dancer. I'm a starving artist. But I do think there there's avenues you can take where you can make a lot of money with dance. Um, but sometimes like to take those avenues, you have to sacrifice maybe some morals that you like hold dear to yourself. And I think it's everyone's line is different. Um, and I think I like air more on the holding closer to the values side. And that kind of sometimes detracts from the, um, the monetary success that I can have as a dancer, mm-hmm. which I'm fine with. Um, I think a little goes a long way. And I, and I try to live a, a, a life that isn't um, too extravagant. And um, yeah, and I think my advice to people would be like, figure out what that line is for you. And um, if, you, if you treat dance like a job, like a nine to five, it will start to give back to you. So if you like give it the time pretty much, um, then it will, will give back to you, but you have to give it time and you have to give it effort. And when I say like a job, I think there's negative connotations with that. Like treating dance like a nine to five, I think people who, nine to fives have a bad, but I think like you reap what you sow you like get back what you put in so um yeah if you're spending 40 hours a week and I think that's one thing I've noticed like it'll give back to you somehow some way and I think there's smart ways to like work around stuff but I think everyone figures out their voice and their path along the way and if you just put the time in and you know what your taste is you know what you like you know what you want to do that's like what gets you into it in the first place. You're like, oh, I like this. I want to move like this. You know your taste. Now it's like the time where you're like, you just need to do it over and over again till you get there and to like what you want to be at. Absolutely. I think uh, something you just said, Chris, that really stood out to me. And I hope that if you didn't catch it, I'm going to repeat it to those mm-hmm. that are listening, but just you really standing by your morals and not selling out and and being true to your art but more importantly true to yourself and it's really awesome to see you being a living example to still thriving and not having to rely on selling out or maybe like that's not chris and i've Mm -hmm. always i've always felt that you've been really genuine with your movement and who you are to yourself and to others and um i appreciate that i know so many other people share that same um sight on you mm-hmm. now chris just um you know, kind of taking everything into consideration in, in in your journey and all the things you faced and the adversities and being a working artist and really making it and really you know it, you make it look you know i think people especially with dance they kind of just see the end product mm-hmm, for sure um, but just one kind of shedding a little bit of light on the sacrifices that you make behind the scenes. Um, you mm-hmm. kind of talked a little bit about it. Um, maybe not living as lavish of a lifestyle as, you know, if you decide to pursue something else, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, but just talking about like the sacrifices, whether it's the studio time or it's the hours or 
maybe something that people don't really think of when they when they they just see you kind of as the end product but maybe just a sacrifice that uh, stands out to you you'd like to share Mm. i think one thing that like humans do in general is compare so i think one thing that people don't see um all the time is like the idea of like constantly having to be better and like to grow and like how much real estate that takes up in your mind Mm. um yeah so i think like one thing especially now that like i've like learned that i struggle with and i think a lot of people struggle with too is like the idea of expectation and the idea of having to fill others expectations right so like when we're like making movement in general i think our community's dance is performative we like make it to do it on stage we make these pieces to do a solo at the end of class. We make it to show people so that they can see and do it. Um, so it's like so performative just in its nature that like expectation is going to be there regardless because we're always sharing it in some way or form. Um, so I think one thing that we don't talk about or see a lot is um, is that expectation and how much it can weigh on like your mental health Mm. and um just like learning how to talk about and navigate that is one thing that i've been doing recently um that's really helped me just like find a space in dance um where you really enjoy it i also think um for traveling and stuff um the effect it has on your relationships with your friends with your family, it's like, uh, I don't know, I think anyone who's traveling and working can probably attest to that. Like, if you don't give something time, then, um, I don't know, like, it's, it's not going to grow. Like, if you don't give your relationship time, it's not going to grow. If you don't give your friendships time, then it's going to stag- be stagnant and fall off in different places. And, and I think as, like, someone who has been traveling for a a long time I've like seen that come to manifest itself in many places of my life where I've been like oh actually like teaching and traveling might not be the most important thing there's like other things that I I want to build um those are some things that I think go a little unseen yeah like expectation and how much it plays a part in like dance and then also like just the like what it does to your relationships if you give dance all your time Absolutely. Those are two great things. Um, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, yes. Now, last bit, Chris, you've, you've been everywhere and you've, you know, touched a lot of people's souls with your movement and your enthusiasm and your just your goofballness. It's the best way I can kind of sum you up, <laughs> but everything you've been through and all the people you've encountered and all the adversity you've been you know, you've dealt with and, you know, we still deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. What would you tell or share with your 13-year-old self? What would you tell them just looking back, if you can part some words of wisdom to a 13-year-old Chris? Mm. If I impart wisdom to my 13-year-old self, is it going to change who I am right now? No, it's just going to... Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to play that game. We're not going to play that game. So just... <laughs> Whatever you feel, um, it's good to know at least. What grade am I in when I'm 13? Am I in seventh grade? Seventh, eighth grade. Probably eighth grade. Seventh, eighth grade. Mm. Something like that. End of middle school. Hmm. I'd probably tell myself to be, to be patient and, um, to be like compassionate to um well maybe not be compassionate i would tell myself to be patient I, in seventh grade i remember i moved to a new middle school and i this is funny because i'm like the white kid now because i'm uh, surrounded by filipino people who are full Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> but i was like the asian kid in school mm-hmm. and i remember like having to deal with um just so many racist jokes because i was like one of the only Asian kids in the school. I think there might've been like one other Asian girl who was um, Korean. 
Um, and I think I would tell my 13, 13 year old self to like, um, to be patient, but, um, to like speak up if something doesn't feel right and to like, to not be afraid to, um, I don't know, say if something's bothering you. Cause I think there's a lot of times when I was that age where I'd just be like, ha ha ha, put it under the rug and then like move mm. on with my life. Um, I think, I think it's because I was like concerned with like still being part of the group and fitting in. Sorry, my dog is dreaming right now. So you hear some little yelps. <laughs> do you hear that? I do. I love it. I love it. Barnaby and Martin. I love it. Um, Chris, I just yeah. want, want to say thank you for sharing your narrative with us today and, and your insight. And especially as a working full-time artist, I think there's a lot of valuable things that whether you are a working artist or not, you're going to provide a lot of value to people, even with your words. So again, mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you for your time and sharing your narrative and just being so vulnerable today. And uh, hopefully, you know, once that baby comes in December, we can do a follow-up and see how you're doing and just oh, uh, how it changes. So just want to say thank you again, Chris, for today. And uh, we'll look forward to the next time having you on. All right. Thank you, Kev. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye.